Okay, so we are on, I think it's week nine of, uh, we've called it Healing School. And tonight I'm going to talk about healing as an act of war. Or the warfare aspect of healing. I'm not sure what to title this. I never know what to title these till I'm done because I don't always know what we're going to talk about. But tonight I feel like I know where we're going to start. And it's in uh, 1 John chapter 5. Verse 19. 1 John 5, 19. 1 John is way near the end of your Bible. Right before the book of Revelation is 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and Jude. So it's towards the end of your Bible. There's the Gospel of John and then there's these three other letters that John wrote named 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So we're reading 1st John chapter 5 verse 19. And it says this, We know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. I'm reading in the New King James. Does anyone have a different translation? They could, yes, ma'am. So she said, we know that we belong to God and the whole world is under the power of the evil one. Does anybody else have a different translation other than that? Yes, David. We know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. That the world around us is under the control of the evil one. What do y'all think about that? Was this written before or after Jesus died on the cross? After. So what do you think about that? Is that a surprise to you? It shouldn't be because look at how the world operates. It doesn't operate according to God's will for the most part. or I won't say for the most part, for a lot of it. A lot of the things we see are not representing our Father's will. God does not like evil. God does not like abuse. God does not like lying and stealing and killing. Right? God does not like perversion and taking advantage of people. None of that is God's will. None of that is a reflection of our Father's heart. Let's go, while we're on this right here, go to 2 Corinthians Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, they're, yeah, they're back there on that shelf. They should be back there on that shelf. Yep. Yeah, David, David will get you one. He's, got, he's found some. Does anybody else need a Bible? Doesn't have one? We need one up two more. So we need three all together, David. Thank you, buddy. Four, three. We got uh, one over here, one right here too. Right there. Thank you, guys. 
<laughs> All right, go to, uh, we're going now to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter four. Anybody else need a Bible? We've got one or two more right there. You need one? Okay. All right. Thanks, man. So turn to Second Corinthians four. If you're writing this stuff down, the first one I did was First um, John five nineteen. This one is Second Corinthians four. Verses 1 through 4 with the focus on verse 4. Second Corinthians 4. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor the handling of the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, committing ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. The God of this age is trying to blind people's minds, to hide the gospel from them. Who is that talking about? Who is the wicked one? This is an easy one. That's Satan, right? That's Satan. But when we talk about the wicked one, Satan cannot, Satan is not able to be everywhere at the same time. He can only be in one place at a time. Satan is a single being. He's not omnipotent. He's not omnipresent. He can't, he has to travel from place to place. But Satan has a kingdom of fallen angels that he deceived a long time ago. Okay? That kingdom, his kingdom is called the kingdom of darkness. Now let's take a look at how this has played out in human history. So I like drawing these timelines. So um, prior to the fall of Adam and Eve, anybody have a question? Okay. So we're going to say this is when Adam and Eve were made. Right here. And then right here, we're going to call this the fall, which is when Adam and Eve obeyed Satan, fell for his temptation in the Garden of Eden. Okay? Now, the way Satan operates, his, one of his main tools is trying to discredit the character of God or trying to misrepresent or accuse God's character. To other beings. That's what he did to the other angels. And a lot of them believed him and fell with him. It says a third of them fell. Everybody familiar with this? And then here in the Garden of Eden, so God has made the universe, he made the planet Earth, and he made the Garden of Eden, and he put Adam and Eve in that garden. Now when we think about what the state or how humans what their environment was like in the Garden of Eden, what are some words that come to mind? Paradise. 
paradise, perfection, peaceful, life to the full, heaven, it sure does. Intimacy with God, these are all great. What about their physical well-being? What do you think it was like? Were they walking around with a limp? Were they needing magnifying glass to read the paper? Right? They were healthy. They were absolutely healthy. They were so healthy, in fact, that if they would not have sinned right here, they would never have died. No death, right, no death. When we sum up all of that, so we said they were healthy. And they were not only healthy just in their body, they were healthy in their emotions, right? They were healthy in their mental state. They weren't struggling with addiction or anxiety, right? Like they were, they were peaceful, they were sound, and that's the environment that, they made, that God made for them, and that's how God likes it to be for us. When he made that, that was his will. And that environment reflects how God feels about us. It still does, okay? That's how God wants it to be for you. That's what God's will towards humans looks like. That's pretty good, isn't it? She said, how do we get there? That's a great question. So here we have a time where God's will is the influence in the earth. And when God made the earth, it says he gave the earth to man. He gave it to mankind. He gave man dominion over the earth, it says in Genesis 1.26. He gave us dominion over the earth and over every animal. God made the earth, put the man there, and said, the earth belongs to you. Okay? And when he did that, the decisions that man makes can have an effect on the earth. Because man, he gave man dominion. Right? And he never took that dominion back. Even when they messed up, God never took back that dominion. The dominion wasn't conditional. Some of you are looking at me funny. So let me give you an example. We have dominion over the animals. And so you don't see animals capture people and put people in the zoo. And then take their little animals to see the humans in the zoo. Right? Mankind has, has, has dominion over the animal kingdom. Now you can behave unwisely and get in the wrong place at the wrong time. But overall, man is the dominant creature here on the earth. That has never changed. Yes? I have a cool example. Okay. Our, our dominion to subdue nature. Okay. So on Saturday night, I was asleep, and God usually wakes me up in the middle of the night and we have a little chat. So he woke me up, and I was talking to him about a bunch of stuff, and I was having a really hard time concentrating because it was thundering. Okay. Mm-hmm. Lightens that the battery is really just 
just thought it was super silly that we would have all this lightning and all this thunder, but we wouldn't even be getting the benefit of the rain. So I said to God, I said, you know what, God? This is ridiculous. I said, either make it start pouring down rain or I'll stop it. In the name of Jesus, I have authority to subdue nature. This lightning is interfering with my worship and my communion with you, and I command it to stop in Jesus' name, and it stopped. Like, and it stopped. Good. So, has anyone else in here ever done that besides me? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Don't be embarrassed. You have spoken to the weather in the name of Jesus, and it did what you told it to. Let me give you a story about that. We were going to the beach on vacation. 100% chance of rain. Driving down the highway, and it is pouring down rain. The whole way there, we're saying, in the name of Jesus, you are not going to rain on our vacation. We're talking to the weather. True story. This has happened more than once. We show up. We unpack the car. It's still raining. I tell Teresa, get your bathing suit on. We're going out on the beach. So we get our bathing suits on. We walk down to the car, get the chairs out of the car. And by the, before we cross the street, it stopped raining. And it didn't rain. And it never rained the whole time we were there. The last day we were, this is a true story. The last day we were there, we pack up the car. Before we got a half a mile from the apartment, it started raining again. <laughs> true story. Yes, David. A few years ago, I was in Ethiopia, and we were ministering to a tribe in southern Ethiopia, and they were, both, they were in a terrible drought, and they were about ready to lose their crops. I commanded the rain to start. We went to bed and in the middle of the night. You heard ping, 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 ping. Man. And it rained for the next four days. Did everybody hear that? So he said he was in. Can you just say that again, just louder? I was in Ethiopia a few years ago, and in southern Ethiopia, we were visiting a tribe, and it was in the middle of a drought, and they were about to lose their crops. And so when we prayed with them, I commanded that the rain would, would start, that the rain would come. And that night we went back and we were sleeping. And in the middle of the night, we heard on the tin roof, ping, 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 ping. And then it rained for the next four days. That's cool. Yes. And speak up so everybody can. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, do you guys hear these stories? This is real. We have dominion that we don't know about. And I say, if weather is about to cause problems for you, what do you got to lose? Come against it in Jesus' name. Right? God's not mad at people when they try to go for it. He actually, if you look at how Jesus treated his disciples... The thing he liked is when people who had no idea what they were doing would just go for it. That's, that, God likes that. Okay? So
So you're not going to offend God by reading stories about Jesus and then trying to be like Jesus. That's exciting. I see a lot of wheels turning. I like that. Okay, so here in the Garden of Eden, Satan came in and with a temptation. And if you read, if you, there, there's a lot of stuff in what he did. But what he said was, isn't it a shame God won't let you eat from that tree? God has given you this whole thing, but he won't let you eat from this tree. What's he doing right there? He's telling, he's trying to convince them that God is holding back on them. Or there's something, there's some darkness in God's character. Right? That God is not good. God is holding, God is doing something bad. Yes. It's also focusing on what they don't have versus what they do have. Did everybody hear that? Right. Now, a lot... I, I can't say always, but to me, it's rampant. That when the enemy, the enemy always slandering God. So when we have doctrines that make God look evil, we can know who's the author of those. Okay? That's easy to identify. If God's holding back on you, God's withholding good from you, or God is sending bad things on you, don't be so quick to receive that. Okay? Another thing he did, this doesn't totally relate to our topic tonight, but it's an interesting principle. When God made Adam and Eve, it said he made them in his image and in his likeness, right? right. So Adam and Eve were like God somehow, right? And then Satan said, if you will go eat from that tree, then you can be like God. So he's getting them to chase something that they already have. To go after something you already have. Like you, and that when you start doing that, then you are not believing that you have it already. And that is like a dog that's chasing his tail around in a circle. You are never going to get it until you realize you already have it. And if you're looking for something to come from outside that God already put on the inside of you, then you will never find it. You have to decide to believe that God put that inside of you or God made you that way. Let me just, I see people, I'm going, some people are looking at me like, what are you talking about? Here's an example. The Bible tells you that Jesus paid for the sins of the whole world. And that God has forgiven you all sins. You can find that in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. You can find that in Colossians 2, verses 10 through 15 or 16, among other places. It said God has forgiven you all sins. But if you don't believe that, there's lots of people that walk through life trying to figure out how to get God to forgive them. And if you're trying to get God to forgive you, and you're, you're usually basing that on some feeling, do you feel forgiven? But see, forgiveness is not a feeling, it's a fact. And, someday, and you're never going to get that until you believe He already did it. 
This is an example of chasing something that you already have. Don't do that. A silly analogy I use for this is, has anyone ever been looking for your keys in your house and realized later they're in your hand or in your pocket? Okay? Now, until you realize you already have them, how long is it going to take you to find them? The rest of your life. You will never find them. You, the, the answer is not to find them. The answer is to realize you've already got them. Okay? So Satan is tricking them to go after something they already have. Now, when they agree, they allow Satan's influence in the earth. Not, God does not allow that. They did. That's an important thing to remember. Who allowed Satan to come into the earth and start making things bad? Man had the choice. Man made the decision. And man still does. And the way the enemy still operates is that he has to get someone to agree with him so that his influence can come out. That's still how it works. Did you have something? No. Okay. Be careful, I'll call on you. Yeah. I know, that's what I'm scared of. No, just kidding. Um, so when they allowed Satan's influence into our environment, that's when Satan starts building his kingdom on the earth. And he builds his kingdom through people. Getting people to agree with him and behave according to his way of doing things, rather than God's way of doing things. Okay? Yes? I'm just thinking it's like the Wizard of Oz. We have Dorothy and her three friends, and they're all trying to get something. She's trying to get home, one's trying to get a brain. Mm. And, and the Wizard is telling you got to do this, and you got to do, and you know, all, all the stuff you've got to do, and then you'll get it. And the truth was, they all, they all had it all the time. I never thought of that one. That's a good one. Yes. Can we clarify? God did allow Satan, as a matter of fact, from the heavens, put him on the earth, allowing man to choose. He trusted man enough. Right. So that God did allow that. God allows every creature to make choices, including Satan. God did not want Satan to fall. Right? He wasn't created for that. Man was not created to deal with sin. We weren't created to deal with right and wrong. If they wouldn't have eaten from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, we wouldn't be dealing with right and wrong. We're just not prepared for that. That's how I see that. So, in a, so I want to um, take a minute to clarify some terminology. Sometimes people will say, well, God allowed it. Which is true. God allows people to make decisions. But allowing something is not the same as condoning something. Allow does not equal condone or desire or want. God allowed Adam and Eve the choice to choose right or wrong, but he wanted them to choose right. He did not want them to choose wrong. That's why he told them not to do that. God did not want Satan messing up our life on the earth. 
Because God is not the author of sin. Right? Does God want anybody to sin? No. No. So Satan comes in here and he starts building his kingdom. So I'm going to draw a black line that this is in no way accurate, but it's to show that Satan has been trying over time to gain influence in the earth. So this would represent his kingdom and growing in strength and diminishing in strength over time, okay? Like that. And the way Satan, it seems to me, the way he operates is by trying to gather people into um, a pyramid structure of authority where he can control the person at the top of the pyramid. And if he can control the person at the top, then he can control a lot of the people in the pyramid. Which is in direct contrast to how God made humans in the church, that we are all equal. We're not a pyramid. There's not one man at the top. Jesus is at the top, and the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Anybody ever heard that? God doesn't do pyramids. And Jesus, the way he told his disciples, the greatest man is the least of everybody, not the top of the pyramid. Whoever wants the greatest influence needs to be the servant. Right? It's upside down from the kingdom of darkness. Or the kingdom of darkness is upside down. Let me put it that way. God's way is right side up. So since Satan has influence in the earth, we see his kingdom growing and waning over time. Okay? Now, after Satan came into the picture, and we see, begin to see the influence of Satan and his kingdom. When I say his kingdom, I mean Satan and all the fallen angels, the demons, that stuff. And anybody that's agreeing with them. Once he starts getting influence in the earth, we start to see things in the earth, in the human experience, that weren't there before. Namely, sickness. Sickness was not around until sin and Satan had influence in our environment. Right? That's right? Right? And we all know that there's going to be a day in the future where Satan and sin get dumped in the lake of fire. And guess what? Ha- is there any sickness after that? No, there's not. The only time sickness is in the human experience is when Satan and sin have some kind of influence. So the source of sickness is not God, it's Satan and sin. Now that doesn't mean every sick person has demons on them or every sick person is sick because of of their own sin. I am not saying that. What I'm saying is, if it wasn't for Satan and sin, we would not be dealing with sickness. That's what I'm saying. Okay? Sin is here. Because people made bad choices to agree with Satan back in the day. Okay? Yes, sir? I have a question. Yes. Hypothetically, if Adam and Eve had not sinned, and we would not be here because there was never any death, so there would be more people on this earth than what There would be what? More people on this earth than what to live if you couldn't die. We have no idea. Because, see, the earth is different than it was then, too. Right? We don't... 
it, it never rained for the first, what was that, 1,500 years when the flood came? 2,500 years, something like that? I don't remember the date. The, like the earth, was, we don't know what the earth looked like back then. Yeah, we, that, that is all speculation. So, I mean, that's interesting, but yeah, we have no idea of knowing what that would have looked like. Yes? Right? So how would creation have happened then if they only had the two boys? What the boys have Adam and Eve had lots of children. Huh? Adam and Eve had lots of children. Oh, yeah. Oh, I yeah, they had, they had Cain and Abel, and then they had other children. Oh, I didn't know that. Yep. And see, their, a brother marrying a sister did not have the same problems with DNA that we have now because our genes were so pure. We're getting into the weeds here a little bit, but that's a good question. <laughs> so when God's influence is in a picture and it's the only influence, then it looks like this for the people. Life, health, peace. Everything we think about what heaven looks like. Right? Like Susan said. And then in the future, when Satan is cut off, that's what it looks like again for us. So in between is when we have to deal with things like sickness. Now, this line, let me do this in a different color. Right here, I'm going to draw a line where Jesus' ministry began. And we're going to start look. you can go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 1, we're going to look at that. But this is where Jesus has landed on the earth and he starts his ministry. And what Jesus is, all, does anybody know what Jesus is always teaching about? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. And that phrase used to confuse me. The kingdom of God. I thought that was a place. Anybody ever thought that was a place? The kingdom of God is not a place. The kingdom of God is the governing influence of that king. The governing influence of God that's affecting a territory or affecting an environment with the king's will, with the king's character, with that king's culture. So the kingdom of God is the governing influence of God where God's culture, God's way of looking at things, God's wisdom... God's character is influencing the environment, influencing the people. So Jesus lands on the earth and he starts saying the kingdom of God is showing up. The kingdom of God is here. And then he began to demonstrate the kingdom. Has anyone ever heard that phrase? Demonstrating the kingdom of God. See, that always used to confuse me. What does that mean? Demonstrating the kingdom. Demonstrating the kingdom is showing people what, God look, what God's kingdom looks like. You may know, how did Jesus demonstrate the kingdom? What? Healing the sick, because the kingdom of God doesn't have sickness in it. Right? And casting demons out of people. Because people are not demonized in the kingdom of God. Jesus even said in Matthew 12, 28, 
If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has showed up, has come upon you. Right? So one way you could look at Jesus, I copy this phrase from a man named John Wimber, that Jesus was a divine invader. Coming behind enemy lines, because it says Satan is the god of this world, as we read in two different passages at the beginning of the night. The earth is behind enemy lines, and so Jesus comes. Jesus is God, but he comes as a man, because a man is the one that has dominion. That's deep right there, but I, I can't go into that, but. So Jesus comes as a man, even though he's God, he has taken on limits of being a human being by his own choice. If you want to read more about that, it's in Philippians 2, starting at verse 5. It's also at the end of Hebrews 2 and at the end of Hebrews 4, and you can find some more of that in Hebrews 1. I'm giving you all too many verses to write down. You can also find Jesus making statements all through the book of John saying, I'm, I only do what my Father shows me. Stuff like that. Okay. So Jesus, I like to think about this in a military context. Jesus establishes a beachhead. He is the Rambo going behind enemy lines to rescue the prisoners of war. Right? So let's look at what happens when he shows up. Go to Mark, you're in Mark 1 already, I hope. So I'm, go, I'm not going to read all this. You can read it later. I'm going to skip through to a couple of things. But um, one of the first things we see Jesus doing after he received the Holy Spirit when he was baptized in the Jordan is that he goes out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And see, that always used to confuse me. Why did the Holy Spirit lead Jesus to be tempted? Right? That seems kind of weird. But I didn't see what was going on. Jesus, the Holy Spirit led him out there to win. He didn't lead him out there to lose. And Jesus won. He went out there and he did not fall for the temptation. It's basically a repeat of the Garden of Eden. Saying that ain't going to work anymore. That don't work on me. Right? Jesus won. Then he comes out of the um, desert and he, he comes into the temple. This is in Luke 4. You can see more detail. We're going to read it in Mark 1. But he goes into the temple. He grabs the, not the temple, but the synagogue and he gets the scroll of the book of Isaiah. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And if you sum up everything he says that he's anointed to do is to rescue people to set the captives free, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to bring recovery of sight to the blind. So it's like he shows up behind enemy lines and he says, it's on. We're about to have a throwdown. I love him. Yes, All right, Mark 1, 21. Then they went into Capernaum and immediately... On the Sabbath, he entered a synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, 
Leave us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come here to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So this is when the gauntlet gets laid down. This is the first clash of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness where people can watch it. This is awesome. Jesus rebuked him saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout the region around Galilee. So Jesus shows up and the demons are like, what are you doing here? We've been running this place. What's this all about? It's like Elliot Ness showing up in Chicago. He said it's like Elliot Ness showing up in Chicago. Like, I don't think we grasp the significance of this confrontation right here. But the demons are saying, the Son of God is here. What is he going to do to us? What's about to happen? And so one of them decides to throw a tantrum in the middle of his meeting. Using this man that's been being picked on for who knows how long. And Jesus puts a stop. He says, shut up. To the demon. He's not talking to the man. The Greek language here for what he said is be muzzled to the demon. Zip it. Don't talk anymore and get out of here. And the people were shocked. Who is this that he can command demons around? What do y'all think about that? I think it's awesome. I do too. Like if we were in the stands, we'd be like, yeah, touchdown. Dunked in his face. I think it's interesting that the first place he went was church. Yeah. He went to the, That's where, to the synagogue where all of the Pharisees and the... And the first place he went was church. And he never been that, That's interesting. Yes. Um, from the demon's uh, statement or expression, does that mean... Satan never expected God to come and set him free? It seems like Satan was expecting something, but he didn't know what he was looking for. Because you see him trying to wipe out Israel because the promised seed is supposed to come through Israel. And then when he finds out about Moses, he tries to kill Moses. And then when he finds out about Jesus being born, he, the king of Israel at that time has all the babies killed there. Like Satan, he doesn't know what's coming, but he's trying to stomp it. That's my interpretation of those events. Yeah, Satan, he is not omnipotent. He, he knows what God told him in the Garden of Eden, that the seed of the woman is going to crush your head. Right? So he's been wondering who that is. And then there's been different prophecies over time, and Satan can hear those. But he doesn't know, he doesn't know how to, what to do. And even if he did, it doesn't matter. Because he, if you haven't read the end of the book, he loses. Yeah. 
So this is open warfare right here. Jesus versus demons, and it's not a fair fight. Um, so right after that, soon they had, this is verse 29. Now soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. And if you read this, the uh, parallel account of this in Luke 4, it gives a little bit more detail. It says that he rebuked the fever. So he, she had a fever. He told the fever to leave, and it left because he's exercising dominion. Let's keep going. Um, I will just keep reading at verse 35. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, verse 32. At evening when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and all those who were, and the New King James says demon-possessed, but that's an inaccurate translation. The word should be demonized, or people influenced by demons. The Greek word is daimonizomai. It means demonized. It doesn't mean demon-possessed. There's a big difference. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Is there a version of the word demonized? I have not found it. The, it seems like the King James translators picked demon possessed, and that just kind of stuck. Yes. What does it say uh, he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was? And it says that repeatedly through the gospel. I don't understand that. I don't know the right answer to that. That's something I'm curious about. I mean, I have my ideas, but I don't want to say something because I don't know if I'm right. Yep. Well, I can speak from experience that one reason you're being uh, shut them off is because they lie and they accuse and they do that. So if you're going to speak, they can't do that. See, there was another time where, um, you remember when Paul was going through a town and the slave, there was a slave girl that had a spirit of divination? I think this is in Acts 14, but I'm not sure. About 14 or 16. And she's following behind Paul, and she's saying, come here, the men of God who tell you the way of salvation. Which sounds good, right? And then Paul, it says, Paul, greatly annoyed, turned around and said, be quiet and come out of her. Right? And it doesn't tell us why he did that either. But it seems to me like, the demon in this girl is trying to get people to think she's with them. Right? To kind of give, see what I was doing was okay too. Like, that's just my opinion. So, and we can read through here story after story. I encourage you, if you want to, this would be a great study for you this week. Go through Mark like we just did and just skip to the parts where people got healed or set free from demons and just read it. It's, on, it's all over the place. And then you see where Jesus would come to a town and he couldn't hardly even move because so many people brought sick people to him. 
which proves the point. Why would they be doing that if he wasn't healing people all the time? Healing was a big sign of Jesus coming to town. It was a major part of what he was doing. Major. Healing and casting out demons. Yes. In um, the, the very end of chapter 1 of Mark, where Jesus heals the leper, he tells the leper to you know, go show himself at the temple, but he tells him not to tell anybody. And kind of like he tells the demons not to say anything. He says, um, but the leper went out and talked freely about it and spread the news so that Jesus could no longer enter, openly enter a, t a town, but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. So maybe to make it easier for him, Jesus, to, to accomplish his mission fully. Yeah, okay. So that, that, that's possible. Well, well, I mean, he would tell people, don't tell anybody, but they would go tell everybody. <laughs> I know, how could you not? I know when my wife got healed, I told everybody that would listen, and I still do, because that is awesome. And that's why I love testimony. Tell what Jesus did. Tell people. That is what witnessing is. You witnessed something, and then you tell people about it. That's witnessing. You tell people what happened to you or what you saw. You're a witness to something. That's witnessing. Right? If you saw somebody get healed, then tell people. You don't have to, but it's fun. Okay, so the signs of Jesus when he was walking around, again, we could go through and read these, and I encourage you, go through Mark and do this yourself. But there's a bunch of times where it says he showed up and they brought him multitudes of people and he healed everybody there. And there's people, then we see stories. People came up to him, would you heal me? Yes, I will be healed. Blind people, Jesus, Jesus. He says, what do you want? They said, we want to see. He said, okay, then you can see your faith has made you well. Everybody that's sick that comes to him for healing gets healed. Everybody. And if Jesus, Jesus is the only person that ever did God's will all the time. Yes. Don't forget, though, in Nazareth, his hometown, he had trouble. He said, don't forget. Yes, that's a good point. Let's look at that. Let's go over to chapter 6 in, in Mark. Then he went out, this is verse 1 in Mark 6. Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands. Now, I don't have time to go into this, but just something for you to chew on. Wisdom, to me, means thinking how God thinks. Okay? And right here, wisdom is associated with signs and wonders. Someone walking in wisdom, someone thinking like God. And wisdom is something that we can grow in. Just something for y'all to chew on. 
Verse 3, Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there. You see, it doesn't say that he wouldn't. It says he couldn't. We're gonna, yeah, we're going to talk about what that means. But it's not that he wouldn't, it's that he couldn't. He could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. Now this passage and ones like it, I've heard them presented in a way that causes problems for people. So I want to go into the original language here and show you what's going on that hopefully can help clear up some of this. So the Greek word for faith is pisteo or pistis. That's two different forms of that word. Faith, the best definition I have ever come across, is action based on a belief that is sustained by confidence. The English word belief is not an exact equivalent to the word faith in the Bible. Faith includes some kind of action. It doesn't necessarily have to be a physical action. For example, we talked about believing that God has forgiven your sins, right? But when you, when the faith, the way to have faith in that is that you quit worrying about it. Like you believe it, so now you have peace. That's an action. Does that make sense? It doesn't necessarily mean you take a physical action, but it does mean you act on it. You act on what you believe to be true. And as you act on it, your confidence in that grows. Okay? So faith involves some kind of action. Now, in English, one of the ways that we can make a word mean the opposite is that we put a letter A in front of it. Like if we think if someone is moral, but we put an A in front of it, amoral, it means the opposite, right? Everybody agree with that? Or if someone is a theist, meaning they believe in some kind of God, an atheist means they believe there is no God. So A means it turns it in the other direction, okay? And the word for unbelief here is, uh, it, the, they do the same thing in the Greek, apisteo or apistas. I don't remember which one it is here. What it means, is, it's not, this is the point I'm trying to make. The unbelief here is not Christians trying to believe in healing. It is, they are offended and they want nothing to do with that Jesus. That is the unbelief. It is faith in reverse, David. So that would mean that their action is they didn't bring the sick people there. Correct. Which is why he couldn't do the miracles. Because there was no one to do miracles on. Because there was no one to do miracles on, and Jesus is not in the business of tackling people and making them receive him. He, he respects people's free will. So if someone does not want his ministry, then he is not going to force it on them. Therefore, he couldn't heal them because they wouldn't let him. But this is not 
Christian believers struggling trying to believe for their healing. That is not what that word means. Okay? Unbelief means, no, I want the opposite of that. Everybody got that? Okay. Now go with me to Luke chapter 9. While you're turning there, I'm going to draw a picture of what is going on on the earth right now. So we have this, we still have this timeline where there's the kingdom of darkness that is trying to operate on the earth. But since Jesus showed up, we have, this blue represents the kingdom of God on the earth. So right now there are two kingdoms in conflict on the earth. Okay? The kingdom of God is here and it's growing, but it's not here fully yet. The kingdom of God in its fullness is still in the future. But the kingdom of God is here now in part. And it started with Jesus. And when he told the disciples, some of you standing here will not die until you see the kingdom of God come in power, which was talking about the day of Pentecost. And all those parables, he talked about the kingdom of God is like a seed, and it starts small and it grows and it takes over. That's what's happening. The kingdom of God started small and is growing and it's unstoppable. And all of us are citizens of that kingdom. You are a citizen of the kingdom of God and you have rights as a citizen. These are worthwhile things to think about. A kingdom has a culture that's associated with the king. Like if you go into another kingdom and you see how the people behave, it's a reflection of the king, right? And so our behavior amongst our peers is not in order to gain citizenship, it's in order to reflect our king. Right? God already loves you, already saved you, already gave you citizenship. So your behavior modification and ethical and moral choices are not in order to get approval from God. They're to show the world around you what our kingdom is like. This is how our king treats people. He loves them and is self-sacrificial towards them. Right? That's the culture of the kingdom of God. Our king is generous, not greedy. I could go on about that for a while. Verse 9, I mean chapter 9, verse 1. Then he called his twelve disciples together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So Jesus has got his first batch of guys and he's ready to send them out on their first mission and he gives them power and authority to do exactly what he has been doing and it should look exactly the same because they are there to show people what he's like which in turn shows people what God is like so when the disciples show up if they're walking in wisdom fully expressing the will of God and the will of their rabbi Jesus then they, what it looks like when they minister should look like, it should look like what it was when Jesus ministered. That's what Jesus wanted. So their meetings, when they meet people, it should be healing and casting out demons and saying the kingdom of God 
is showing up in your town. And people see that kingdom and want to join that kingdom. You had something? Uh, well, you refer to Jesus as a transformer, but in reality, we, we are transformers because uh, we're in this dark world and we have the light and we, we, we carry the kingdom. So we are the ones who make the impact just as Jesus made the impact. Correct, correct. So she's saying we are here in the same capacity. We are here to be light. We are here to impact the world and bring the kingdom wherever we go. To demonstrate the kingdom. To show people what God is like. By healing diseases. And setting people free from demonic oppression. In the name of Jesus. So Jesus called his twelve and he sent them out and they went out and did it. And they did some things right and did some things wrong. You can read that in chapter 9. But even though they made a lot of mistakes, he did not disqualify them. And neither will he disqualify you when you make mistakes. Please remember that. Then in chapter 10, it says, After these things, this is Luke 10, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them out two by two. And if you skip down to verse 9 in the middle of the instructions, it says, And heal the sick there, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. So this isn't just for the twelve apostles. This is also the seventy. Okay? And you see a pattern here that is consistent all the way through. Every person that Jesus ever sent out to represent him, he gave them power and authority to heal the sick, cast out demons, and preach the gospel. Every believer has that. You have that. You were authorized for that. Now, I know depending on your background or what traditions you've been taught, or just as a function of being in religion for so long, we have a tendency to think that the guy on the stage or the guy up at the front or the man of God is the one that has the power of God and all, of, all the rest of us are spectators. But that is not how God wants it. It's not a pyramid. The Holy Spirit was poured out on everybody. The Holy Spirit is the one that does the miracles. And He lives in you. Now let's, I got to move kind of quickly here. Go over to Acts chapter 5. While you're turning there, I just want to mention one other that you can read later. But when you read the Great Commission in Matthew 28 and Mark 16, here's what Jesus says to the, peop to the 12 and the 70 and the people that have been following him. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. Make disciples. Teach them to do the stuff I told you to do. Which is what? Heal the sick, cast out demons, preach the gospel. So that is what making disciples looks like. In, in the Bible. And in Mark 16 he says, These signs will follow them that believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. 
Healing the sick is part of your inheritance that's available right now. And don't feel like you have to go do something to get that because you've already got that. That's the same old trick. I just need to read one more book. I just need to get my life together a little bit more. You're trying to go get something that you already have. God already approves of you. You were already qualified. Colossians 1.12, God has qualified you to be partakers of the inheritance. Colossians 1.12, if you're struggling with that. The guys Jesus sent out were not doing it right either. And he knew that. He's okay with that. He doesn't want people to mess up, but he knows they're going to. So don't be so hard on yourself. All right. Um, Acts 5. Let's see where this is. Acts 5, 14. You remember when uh, we read about Jesus, that when he went to town, they brought all the sick and all the demonized to him and everybody got healed? All right, read this. Acts 5, 14. And the believers were increasingly added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall of some of them. And also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Doesn't that sound exactly the same wording that it used about Jesus? Because that is what God's will looks like. God's will looks like people are free from the devil and free from sickness. And you have been authorized to enforce God's will. And I would like to urge you to begin thinking of yourself not like a beggar, but a citizen of the kingdom, part of the military, who is authorized to, for law enforcement. And where the criminal is sickness and the works of the devil. And you are sent out on a rescue mission to rescue people that are stuck. And to tell them God loves them and wants to adopt them. That's awesome. Yes. Well, I was just going to make the point that we are all he has. And if we're not willing to go, uh, we're all he has. Yes, she said, we're all he has. Now, when we talk like this, I don't want you to feel like you have to go do something. Because you don't. You get to. And when you start doing it, you're going to wonder why you waited so long. But you are not under no obligation. There are no requirements on you. So do not walk out of here feeling guilty. God loves you no matter what you do. The ministry of the thief on the cross who went to heaven just like everybody else involved hanging there in place for a couple of hours. That's all the good he did. So you're not going to make God like you more by going out and under obligation and feeling like you have to do all this stuff. I'm telling you these things because you get to. It's part of your inheritance. It's part of your rights in the kingdom. 
Everybody got that? I don't want anybody walking out of here feeling under obligation or feeling guilty. But I want to extend an invitation to find out what all God gave you and start enjoying it. All right, if we go over to chapter 6, what I want to do now is show you that this is not just the apostles. Okay? And I know most of you believe this already, but in case you have people with questions like this that you run into, these are some good verses for that. In Acts chapter 6, um, verse 1, In those days when the number of the disciples were multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the, Hel- by the Greeks, because their widows were neglect or the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve summoned the multitude of disciples and said, It's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so they are selecting these people to basically work in the um, soup kitchen. Okay? Does that sound right to y'all? They're picking people to help hand out food. This saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and then some other people whose names I can't pronounce. But I want to focus on Stephen and Philip. Stephen and Philip are not apostles. They're just guys working in the food pantry. Okay? Stephen and Philip, verse 8. Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Do you see that? This is a regular dude doing great signs and wonders among the people. So that's Stephen. If we go over to Acts chapter 8, let's see what Philip's up to. Acts 8, verse 4. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were demonized and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. These are not the apostles. Because signs and wonders follow those who believe, not those who are the apostles. So you don't have to be a minister, you don't have to go to seminary, you don't have to have a title, you just have to believe in Jesus. And if you believe in Jesus, then you've met all the requirements. And you are qualified How do you feel about that? Ready. Ready. Amen. I hope this is making you get excited. Now, I need to take some time to talk about authority. Okay? Now, a couple of weeks ago, we went through different ways that God heals people. And if you weren't here for that, I would encourage you to go back because I don't have time to cover all that tonight. But we talked about four of the ways. One of them is through the faith of the sick person. There's people that believed and Jesus said, your faith has made you well. That's one way. That's not the only way and that's not a requirement. 
Sometimes it was the faith of their friend. Right? Sometimes it's a gift of the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit just heals somebody. And sometimes it's through the authority of the believer. And that's the one I teach on the most. Because that's the one I walk in the most. So I want to right now, very quickly, convince you of your authority as sons of God. So if you will turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Now when I talk about authority... I want to be very clear about something. I want to draw some relationships here. The, the way God is above us and the way we relate to Him is that we worship Him. Or we have intimate relationship with Him. Okay? So the way we relate to God is worship. The way we relate to other people is that we serve them. Right? We serve them. And the way we relate to the devil, demons, and the kingdom of darkness is that we exercise authority over them. And we do not want to mix these up. We do not have authority over God. And we do not take authority over people. Okay? In the Bible, authority amongst people is a function of wisdom. That pe amongst people in the kingdom, authority is a function of wisdom. So a person with authority is someone that has wisdom in that area that you want to heed what they're saying by your own free will. Kind of like if we think of, um, who is a famous chef? Anybody? Julia Child. Julia Child has authority in the area of food. Right? That doesn't mean she tells everybody what to do. That means when she says something, we want to listen to that because she has authority in that area. That's how authority is in the kingdom. I want to be very clear that we are not taking authority over other human beings. And if you are ever in a religious environment where someone is trying to make everybody obey their authority, something is wrong. Okay? Got that. So this next thing I'm going to be talking about authority is this authority over the devil. I have got to do this quickly. Ephesians chapter 1, I'm going to begin in verse 15. This is one of my favorite sections of the whole Bible. Ephesians 1, starting at verse 15. This is Paul praying for the Ephesian believers. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, 
I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And here are Paul's prayers for these believers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. That the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you may know something. So Paul, this is important for you to see this. The prayer in Ephesians 1 is that you will know something. That you will find out something. That you will have revelation about something that's already true. Eight, this is verse 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. The Greek there, toward us, is, a, is difficult to have an exact English equivalent. So when I studied this out, I found out, I think this word is, I don't remember, so I'm not even going to go there. But it meant toward, in, on, and for. Okay? We don't have a word that means all that. So I'm going to read this with all those words. The exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. The exceeding greatness of his power in us who believe. The exceeding greatness of his power on us who believe. The exceeding greatness of his power for us who believe. Then he says, according to the working of his mighty power, verse 20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So the great, exceedingly great power of God raised Jesus from the dead. And that is the power of God that is inside of you right now. The exceeding greatness of the power of God is inside of you and lives in you. And his name is the Holy Spirit. And if you can write this down. I don't have time to go there. But over in Ephesians 3.20, it says, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly. You familiar with this? Above all that we ask or think. What does it say after that? According, according to the power that works in you. The power of God is in you. How about let's just say that. And just repeat it to me. The power of God is in me. God's power is inside of me. How does that make you feel? Your spirit likes that because that's the truth. And your spirit agrees with God. And that warm feeling you have when you say that is your spirit agreeing with God. And maybe the Holy Spirit's in there going, finally. That's a joke, but not a very good one. All right. It says, this authority he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So we have God the Father in the heavenly places and it says he seated the Son at his right hand. Okay? In a kingdom, the highest place of authority is at the right hand of the king. The person sitting at the king's right, that person has the authority. Right? 
And he, he seated him in the heavenly places far above all principality, power, might, dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Powers and principalities that Jesus is far above. What is that? That's demons. That's the kingdom of darkness. Okay? Um, just to, for more on that, you can look over in Ephesians 6. It says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. Right? It's talking about the kingdom of darkness, the devil and his demons. And it says that the sun is far above all of that. Is that a surprise to anybody? No. Hopefully not. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he is far above the best thing the devil has to throw at him. Verse 22, and he put all things under his feet. I like doing this, the feet of Jesus. So everything is below his feet. And he gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So the church is the body of Christ. Has anyone heard that before? And that is in 1 Corinthians 12. It talks more about that, that we are his body. And it talks about, he uses an analogy of the human body because each part of us play a different role, like someone is an eye, someone is an ear, someone is a hand, someone is a foot. You familiar with this? So the feet are part of the body. Is that right? And the feet of the body of Christ are far above the kingdom of darkness. Right? So what does that say about you? If, you are the, if we are the body of Christ, we're, yeah, we're above, and not only that, we're far above. We are as far above as Jesus is because we are his body. And this surprises people, and that's a shame because that is written there plain as day. And not only that, we're going to keep reading because it gets more obvious. So let me go there real quick. Chapter 2. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. The prince of the power of the air. Who is that? Satan. Satan. So it says you used to be down here below that. Is, that. is that what that says? Yes, that's what that says. We used to be under that stuff. Verse 3, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath just as others. But God, this is Ephesians 2, 4. If you highlight your Bible, highlight this next part. But God, who is rich in mercy because of our many hours of fasting and praying and Bible reading, Because of our holy lifestyle, because of our many good deeds, none of that is in the equation anywhere. Those things are good, but those things are not a prerequisite for authority. That's not how you get authority. It says, God, 
who is rich in mercy because of his great love for us, with which he loved us. Even when we were dead and in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Is that, are those verbs future or past in this sentence? What does that mean? That means that's already happened. You already have all the authority it is possible for a created being to have. That was written 2,000 years ago. And it's been sitting there in plain print since then. But why doesn't everybody know this? It's not taught. It's not taught but we need to read our Bible. But a lot of people don't read. Or when you read it, you will like, well, that's not right because that's not what the, I was told. Well, sometimes the person up here at the front teaching doesn't know everything. And we all make mistakes. And it's not anyone else's responsibility to read the Bible for you. So you cannot blame it on anybody else. And don't feel guilty, feel excited. Right? We don't need to feel guilty. If this is new to you, then rejoice. That you are no longer at the bottom, you're at the top. You are at the right hand and in Christ far above the worst thing the kingdom of darkness can throw at you. It's no contest, or it should be no contest. Now, since we got up here because God loved us, not because of our own good deeds, why would we think we can come back down by something we do? What you do has no effect on whether you're there or not. God put you there. You didn't climb up there. Your authority is not based on how good you behave. Because that's another area where the enemy wants to come along and tell people, you have no right to be walking in authority because look at how you act. Well, the answer to that is, like I don't, none of us want to sin, right? We don't want to do that. But we do. But that has nothing to do with authority. You have authority because God loved you and gave it to you because he wants you to use it to kick the devil's butt. So you don't need to feel guilty. You need to get mad. Now look at this. Do you think God is aware that you have authority over the devil? Yes, because he gave you that authority. Do you think the angels and the demons are aware of this? There's one group of beings that are not aware of this. Who is that? That's the people that have the authority. Why do you think that is? Because the God of this age is trying to blind our minds. Because when the church finds out who she is, Think about this. Think of what it would look like on the earth if every believer fully understood their, his or her authority and walked around knowing the Spirit of God is in them ready to take care of business. What would it look like? How would, how would the world view the church then? 
rather than thinking we're a bunch of self-righteous hypocrites, right? It would be very different. We're not called to point our finger at people. Yes, and you've got to comment too, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sure. It would look like crowds would come around from all the villages, bringing their sick and all those possessed by evil spirits, and they would all be healed. Yes. Amen. Amen. That's exactly right. Yeah, man. I was, uh, I, I, I get medical treatment at the VA in Durham. And uh, as I was walking through the halls and looking out at all the people in pain and, and misery and illness and amputations and riding in wheelchairs, I just thought, man, this place needs the kingdom of God. Exactly. We need to start thinking like that. We can bring it. Right? We are the citizens of the kingdom. We are the body of Christ. It's us. And see, we get tricked into thinking we have to do, achieve something before we can start operating in it. Or another trick. This is, this is the church and this is the world. Watch this. This is sickening. The church thinks that we are supposed to, if we can make ourselves holy enough, then God will respond by pouring out revival and change the world. Has anybody ever been around that kind of teaching? What's the problem here? I mean, one of the problems. We can't make ourselves holy because God already did that. He already did that. That's already true. And God has already poured out revival and is you. You are revival. We are the revival. We have been revived. We're alive. Right? We're not waiting on revival. You are the revival. God sent revival in Acts chapter 2. God poured out His power in Acts chapter 2. Man. Let's get, I just want to run around this building right now. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to uh, pray for us, and then we're going to minister right now and exercise our authority for anyone who wants to participate, okay? So, Father, I bless your people. I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray all these truths sink in deep. Lord, that these become real to us, that we have faith like the Bible talks about, that we act like we believe it that this thing we believe starts to affect how we behave, how we act, how we look at the world. Lord, we want to be your representatives. We want to represent you. We want to show people what you are like. Lord, I pray all of us, we just grow deeper and deeper in our relationship with you, that we get to know you better. And um, any lies in the enemy telling these people they're not qualified, we just reject all of that right now that falls on the ground and breaks all over the floor that is gone in jesus name we are free we have been qualified so father we bless your son and may jesus be honored in the things we're about to do holy spirit we welcome your ministry in here to show your will in jesus name amen amen, amen. all right so right now if you need prayer for healing or anything like that 
or if you are willing to stay and help us pray, I don't believe in the man at the front doing all the stuff because I already get to do it a lot. This class is so that you can learn how to do it yourself. Okay? So what we're going to do is break up into groups and pray for each other. If you have questions or need my help, I'll be up here at the front. But for everybody that's going to participate, I'd like for you to stand up. And let's have um, each section gathered together in maybe one or two groups. Find out what the needs are and then use your authority as sons of God to enforce His will. In Jesus' name.